It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Rico Bronya starting pitching edition. Maybe the most important Rico Bronya of the entire offseason because we address the issue. The issue the New York Mets need to address and fix. And really what they do in adding starting pitching during the offseason is going to dictate our expectations for 2024. Because we could rationalize how this lineup would get better on its own. We could rationalize that. May not agree with it, but you can at least c- convince yourself, well, Brett Beatty's going to have a breakout year, and Mark Vientos is going to have a breakout year, and give him Ronnie Mauricio 155 games, and he's going to be awesome. And you can convince yourself of all of that. But for this starting pitching to rebound, for this starting pitching to be good enough to be a team that gets to the postseason, competes for the NL East, They're going to have to make additions. So what we're going to do on this podcast is a couple of things, three parts. Number one, we'll look at their internal options, the guys that will be in the rotation, the guys that could be in the rotation, the guys that we don't want to see in the rotation. We'll then, of course, address the free agent market and the trade market and make our recommendations on who they should add with MLB offseason now really underway. So let's start off with what they currently have. And what they currently have, to me, is two solid pieces to build around. Kodai Senga was great last year. He was their most consistent starter, and there's a lot of positives you can lay at the feet of Kodai Senga, but I'll start off with this. Kodai took the baseball, and Kodai pitched. And, you know, he had a little bit of an injury history and an injury question coming into the start of 2023. So there was certainly no lock that Kodai was going to be able to go out there and basically make every single start, which which he did. Now, the Mets took it easy with him, no doubt about it. They would always try to find that extra day, but it worked. He finished with a sub-3 ERA. He made 29 starts. He threw 166 innings. And I think what's best of all with him is that he got better as the season went on. And so I think our view of Kodai Senga from – the moment they sign him to now is different in this regard. I think most of us can look at Kodai and say, hey, that that could be an ace. That could be one of the better pitchers in the National League. I mean, he is going to get serious consideration for the National League Cy Young. So I think Kodai was very, very encouraging. But there's one thing to keep in mind about him that we have to factor in when thinking about 2024. He made three starts on regular rest. And we all know what regular rest is, even though it's not regular anymore. 
Regular rest is four days rest. He only made three starts. And when he did that on regular rest, he was average to mediocre to bad, however you want to describe it. It's tough because it's only three starts. So when you look at a sample size of three starts, it's like, well, what do you want to gauge out of it? He made three starts. He had a 4-6 ERA. He threw 13 and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven runs. He walked nine guys in 13 and two-thirds innings. When he made his starts on five days rest, which is that extra day, 17 of his starts were like that. He pitched to a 3-0-4 ERA. And then when he was given extra days, six days of rest, he actually made nine starts on six or more days of rest and pitched to a 2-4-5 ERA. So he was obviously a better pitcher when he was given more rest. And the reason I bring that up, and the reason I mention it is it's a part of why I think during the offseason, the Mets need to add three starting pitchers and not two. More on that later. Kodai Senga, an easy lock for the 2024 rotation. The other guy is Jose Quintana. And missing Jose early in the season turned out to be a really big blow for this rotation. We talk about not having Verlander for the first month of the year, the fits and starts of Max Scherzer. This season could have played out very differently if Quintana was out there. And I think we all have to feel pretty good about what he did in the second half of the year. And really, if you look at most of his career, he has been a reliable starting pitcher. He is more of a middle to back end of the rotation guy, but he is a lefty, which is valuable to have. And those two guys are locks. I mean, so I guess that's a positive, right, Pete? 40% of the rotation is set. Yeah, unless it's better than 0%. <laughs> that's a positive way to look at it the the rest of the options and i and i tiered them this way you've got your swing guys and then you've got your prospects prospects that can make an impact in 2024 here are your swing guys tyler mcgill joey lucchese david peterson jose budo i am ready to move peterson and mcgill to the bullpen and make them full-time relief pitchers. I think we've seen a lot of McGill and Peterson over the last bunch of years. I know that some starters develop later than others, especially lefties like Peterson, but I'm intrigued to see what they can do out of the bullpen. And I've made that clear for a while. They were given a shot this past season after the trades were made. And I think they kind of proved that they're, they're swing guys. They're swing guys or they're guys that are not good enough to be starters. So if you want to keep them as swing guys, I get it. I think the negative is if you keep Peterson and McGill as swing guys that could enter the rotation or just be ready in case there are injuries, you can't put them to valuable use out of the bullpen. Because if you make Peterson a short guy where he's coming in and facing three or four batters in the seventh inning and is actually good at it, and he's doing that for two months, and now you've got injuries in the rotation, it's just not realistic to stretch him out again. No, obviously a guy gets hurt two weeks into the season. Okay, fine. Not a big deal. You could stretch him out. So I'm ready to move Peterson and McGill into permanent bullpen roles and seeing what they could do. Budo and Lucchese, I think, are fine as swing guys, guys that bounce between AAA and the major leagues, maybe in the bullpen as a long reliever, so that when they do come into games, whether a starting pitcher got hurt or a starting pitcher got chased early, they are the Trevor Williams from a few years ago. The Pat Mahomes from 99. It's so weird to use Pat Mahomes as an example because you say his name and you just think of his son and you think of the quarterback. But I always view that like late 90s. Who's the, the definition of that late, uh, that 
that failed starter, I hate to say that, but failed starter who can come in fourth inning, starter got chased early. It was Pat Mahomes. It was Darren Oliver in 2006. It was Trevor Williams a couple of years ago. Luke Casey, Budo, kind of fit that. Or swing starters. So I take Peterson and McGill. I make them relievers. Luke Casey and Budo remain as the break glass in case of emergency. Uh, disagreement on that, Pete, or agreement on that? I mean, I, I really am down on, on McGill and Peterson where I don't want to see them at all. But if you're going to use them, yeah, I don't want to see them as starters anymore. I think that's over. I, I don't mind Budo, and yeah, I think Lucchese has some um, unexplored ability in the rotation. Well, Lucchese was good. That's what's so weird about him. I mean, when you think back to last year, and obviously it became such a funky season because of the trades and the injuries early on, when Joey Lucchese made starts, and he was recovering from Tommy John surgery, so I'm sure there was some cautiousness to it, but he made nine starts at the major league level and had a 2.89 ERA. Like he was, he was damn good. I, I could actually understand. I'm not there, and I'll explain why. But I'm not at that point of saying let him compete for a rotation spot. But I can understand a Mad fan thinking that way because the guy went out and made nine starts, which is a decent sample size, and was really good. And pitched to a low ERA. Um, the reason I don't want to do that, the reason I wouldn't say to a Joey Lucchese, a Jose Budo, Peterson or Miguel, who I've already kind of made clear I want out of the bullpen or any of the prospects, hey, go compete for a rotation spot and leave it as four certainties and then one that's just a battle. The reason I'm against that is because guys are going to get hurt. Like we saw that this past season. Guys are going to get hurt. More on that in a little bit on why they should add three, not two, as we go through what they currently have. Then you've got, to me, five pitching prospects that are close enough where they can make an impact in 2024 if need be. Mike Vassell was at AA and AAA. His AAA ERA was not good. He made 10 starts there, but he had some really dominant starts. He had that eight scoreless inning start, I think actually against Yankee, against the Yankees, against Scranton, and he pitched a lot better in his last five starts at AAA than his first five starts. But the fact he was making starts at AAA shows you that Mike Vassell is not far off. There's a really good chance we see him pitch for the Mets in 2024 at the major league level. Blade Tidwell is one of their better prospects. He made eight starts at AA. So my assumption is Tidwell will start at AA and try to prove himself. I think he's got less of a shot to make major league starts this year than Mike Vassell, but a guy to keep an eye on because he's not that far off. Christian Scott was the guy who, at least for me, burst onto the scene a year ago. I wasn't that familiar with Scott one year ago at this time, but after he put up so many good pitching performances throughout the Met Farm system, we all had to pay attention. And he ended up making 12 starts at AA. So another guy who can certainly be on the radar. Dominic Hamill had a full season at AA, made 26 starts. Assume he begins the year at AAA. He's pretty close. And Justin Jarvis is the other guy to keep an eye on. None of those guys should be competing for a rotation spot right out the gate. They should be guys that you keep an eye on, guys that are in the minor leagues, and guys that very well may make starts at some point. And that's why I go back to three starters need to be added. You've got Quintana and you've got Senga. But of those group of pitchers I just mentioned, those are nine guys I mentioned, 
four guys who we've already seen in McGill, Luke Casey, Peterson, Budo, and then the five prospects that are relatively close. I don't want any of them in the rotation right out the gate. That's why I believe the Mets need to add three starters. Those guys may end up making starts for the Mets in 2024. It should not be on April 1st. It should not be right out of the gate. I don't think there's enough good options, nor enough options that are close enough, where I would just take the fifth spot in the rotation and say, all these guys battle. Not only because of what I just said, that they're not good enough or close enough, but also because the Mets are probably going to have to use a sixth starter quite a bit, even if they are healthy. Even if the Mets have a season where they're very lucky and Quintana makes every start and Senga makes every start and whomever they add makes every start, you are dealing with a Kodai Senga who they only allowed to pitch on regular rest three times last season. And if they add Yamamoto, who we'll talk about in a second, you have to figure they're going to treat him the same way. You know, why would Yamamoto be treated that much differently than Senga? Yamamoto's younger. He comes over with, you know, four years, I guess, four years younger. And a size difference. He's 5'11", which I know may cause some concerns down the road. So if they get Yamamoto, it's even more of a reason why the Mets are probably going to be looking at a six-man rotation more times than not. I want all of those guys I mentioned, Jarvis, Hamill, Scott, Tidwell, Vassal, Budo, Lucchese. I take out Peterson and McGill because I made clear I want them out of the bullpen. Those are all the guys in the mix, whether it's for a sixth spot in the rotation, whether it's because there are injuries, hopefully not too many, but I do not want any of those guys being the fifth starter. That's why the New York Mets need to add three starting pitchers during this offseason, whether it's free agency or trades. Do you agree with that, Pete, or would you be comfortable allowing the fifth spot in the rotation to be a competition amongst the names I just mentioned? No, I think that you need to go out and get as many arms as possible. I mean, if you just look at the Arizona Diamondbacks, what they did, how they got to the playoffs, the the rotations that they used, it was a free-for-all. At some point in time, I mean, uh, the rotation was never really consistent besides Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, maybe. I mean, but they had Brandon Fat going into the World Series pitching. The guy had a five ERA in, like, the few games he pitched in 2023. And then you look at Texas, and that's basically what they did going into the season. They basically went John Gray, Andrew Haney, Avaldi, uh, DeGrom. I mean, and then they added Scherzer. They basically just tried to build a, a rotation. So I think you need to go into this. The more arms, the better. Absolutely. Now, there are different kind of arms you can go after. And the way I would map it out of the three, I would have my future star, which is why Yamamoto is a priority, the guy that you sign who could very well be an ace of your rotation for the next half a decade. And Yamamoto fits that. He is far and away, despite us never watching him, besides highlights. It's kind of funny, but I'm being honest. Despite only watching YouTube clips, of all the ace potential availabilities, he's clearly number one on the list. So I would try to add your future ace, the solid workhorse, the guy who can just give you innings, even if he's not great. And then the third guy is my high reward, low risk addition. That's how I would frame it. So I can give you three guys that fit those. 
But we're going to go through all the guys that are free agents and guys that are potentially via trade, and we'll see where each of them fit. But the high-reward guy, the guy who has the chance to be the ace for the next five years, the solid, I just know he's going to take the ball every five days guy, and then kind of that guy's coming off a bad year, one-year deal. Can this guy be the Cody Bellinger of pitchers? That's how I would refer to it. Because the Chicago Cubs, to their credit, they hit the jackpot with Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger had multiple bad years in a row. And he was available for all of us. And we all knew the risk. The risk is he continues to suck. But it's only a one-year deal and you move on. The reward, the guy becomes great. Now, the negative to the reward is because it's only a one-year deal, he's gone. Or you've got to make some kind of stupid commitment to him. So the guys that could give you the reward understand it may not be a long-term reward. So let's start with the high-end guys, the guys that fit that narrative of being an ace. Uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, I think I screwed up his first name, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, I think is how you pronounce it. Look, we've all heard the stories. He's 25 years old. He's a stud in Japan. In game six of a postseason series, he pitched nine innings, didn't allow a run, and threw 135 pitches, which just like, gave me a headache when I saw that. Because it's so frustrating that we never see that here. You know? We never see a starting pitcher throw 135 pitches in a World Series game or a playoff game. And what that shows you, even though Major League lineups may be tougher than lineups in Japan, is that Yamamoto is capable of it. That a lot of guys are capable of it. But Yamamoto is obviously dominated in Japan. It's incredibly exciting that he's as young as he is. You know, guys who are free agents generally are not nearly as young as Yamamoto is at 25 years old. I think that most of us as Met fans have a confidence in going into the Japanese market after the success of Kodai Senga. You know, we as Met fans, I think we're almost, I know I wasn't, but I certainly know a lot of Met fans were, we're almost nervous about Senga based on our own history, based on the fact that we've had some duds come over, Kazmatsui being the one that really jumps out at us. When, when it doesn't matter, it's a completely different ownership. It's a completely different front office. Kodai Senga performing or not performing has nothing to do with a Japanese shortstop that was really a second baseman that the Mets signed 20 years earlier. But Kodai was able to make the jump. And the Mets babied him, certainly. But he made the jump very successfully. So now you got a guy who's more highly regarded, a guy who's younger. Now you're going to have to pay him a lot more money. It seems like every team is interested in him. Sign me up. I'm all in because the other ace options, and maybe I'm even being generous by calling these guys aces. Well, let's start with Blake Snell because Blake Snell is in all likelihood going to win the National League Cy Young Award. I don't know if I'm just being a hater, Pete. I have zero interest in Blake Snell. Like, I feel he would be a disaster if the Mets or Yankees signed him to a long-term contract. No, I, I'm the same way as you are, and I think there's a lot of uh, things that Blake's now. I know he's very um, devious when he pitches. I know that he's, you know, he, people are, very, are aren't able to read his pitches, but he's just he walks too many guys. Like That's we talked it. about that. We talked That's about the, we talked about Cody Sanga last year in the beginning of the season. He walked too many guys. If people, if he loses his out pitches and people start to be a little bit more patient with him. 
he's going to be ineffective, and the Mets can't afford to bring and sign a quote-unquote ace that's ineffective. He He's also, like, I look at his career, and he was great in 2018 when he won that Cy Young, and he did it throwing only 180 innings, and he's going to do it again because he matched that innings total in 2023, 180 innings, and he's in all likelihood going to win the Cy Young, led the National League in ERA, had a great second half. But it does feel like fool's gold when you're walking that many guys. You know, he walked more guys in 2023 than he had in any year of his career. And it wasn't even close. (laughs) And a part of that is that he threw 180 innings. But you go back to that 2018 season. He averaged 3.2 walks per nine innings, which is, is what it is. This year, he averaged five. Like, imagine that. He walked five guys per nine innings. So it feels as if the overall success he had in 2023 is built on fool's gold. It's built on something that's not going to last. He's going to be 31 years old, so he's no spring chicken anymore. I've seen a lot of bad out of him. You know, 2021, he was bad. He had a four and a half ERA while walking almost five guys per nine innings. I, I think that kind of contract comes back and bites you in the ass. I think Blake Snell's the definition of a guy who's being paid for what he's done in the past and not what he's going to do in the future. So I give him credit for what he did in 2023. He did win the National League Cy Young. Ultimately, you could walk as many guys as you want. If you're not going to give up runs, if you're going to pitch to a 2-2-5 ERA, you're doing something right, even if it's painful to watch, and it would be painful to watch. I'm just not betting that he's going to continue that. The the other guy that I think fits the ace role uh, based on, really based on what he's going to get paid, is Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola is going to be 30 on opening day. He'll turn 31 in the middle of the season. He is not coming off a great season. He had a four and a half ERA. But I'll pay this compliment to Aaron Nola. And, and while I think Aaron Nola is going to get a mega contract that he will never live up to, Aaron Nola is reliable. And I mentioned earlier, I want to add three starting pitchers, one being the the ace quality and one being a reliable innings eater. If you put Nola in that category, if he wasn't being paid like an ace, I, I would look at him and say, that's the innings eater. That's my reliable guy who goes out there every five days, makes every start, could give you 200 innings, and he may not be great. Like, he may not win the Cy Young, but he'll be solid. Think about this with Aaron Nola. This past season, he did pitch to a 4-4-6 ERA. He made 32 starts. A year earlier, he made 32 starts. Pitched a lot better. Pitched to a 3-2-5 ERA. The year before that, where he did not have a good year, a 4-6 ERA, 32 starts. So over the last three years, Aaron Nola's made 32 starts every year. One with a 4-6 ERA. One with a 3-2 ERA. And then one with a 4-4-6 ERA. I hope you enjoy my sound effects. You go back to 2019, 34 starts. 2018, 33 starts. So he is, I pay him this compliment. That This is why if the Mets signed Aaron Nola, I don't think they will. But if they signed Aaron Nola, I would say two things at once. I'd say, wow, he's probably overpaid. He's not an ace. But boy, I love that reliability. I love the fact that you would be able to pencil him in for 32 starts every single season. And that's a that's a good quality. That's not something I I throw out. I just don't look at him as that ace. 
I I look at Aaron Nola as basically a more expensive Chris Bassett. That's how I look at him. I would pencil him as his number three starter. Like, I'm not going to expect him to be the ace of staff at all if he does great for us. But like you said, it's it's the innings. I just hate the fact – now, listen, take away – if you just go into an offseason not thinking about the money because we have Steve Cohen, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, give him what right. he wants. But if you're really reasonable and saying you can't pay a third starter $35 million a season – you, you can't go that route. You really can't. And that's that's what's disturbing about Nola. But if you told me he's reasonable, third starter, I'm all in. But by the way, you mentioned um, something that I think we're all going to have to battle with when we talk about adding a free agent or re-signing Pete Alonzo. And that's we shouldn't really care about what a contract is. You know, Steve Cohen it's early in his ownership tenure, but it doesn't feel like he has any kind of budget. We saw that last year when he was willing to sign Carlos Correa before it all fell through. Now, maybe at some point he will have a budget, and we know there's a hefty luxury tax, and there are penalties that aren't just punitive in terms of what Cohen is paying, but difficult to continue to run a franchise when your draft pick goes back 10 slots, when you lose international pool money. Like, there are major negatives to being in that Cohen tax, not that it isn't worth signing great players or keeping your own, but I wrestle with this every time we talk about, hey, what should they pay Pete Alonso? What should they pay Aaron Nola? <laughs> what should they pay Shohei Otani? Ultimately, there's no salary cap. So as long as the owner is willing to continue to spend, then F it. They're going to be in the Cohen tax anyway. So you may as well keep spending. That's why... It's so difficult to look at a contract and say, well, I'm willing to give Otani $400 million, but $450? I don't know. Like, what the hell's the difference? <laughs> You're already spending so much money. You have an owner willing to spend that. So yeah, even talking about Nola and his contract, I sort of feel weird sometimes about what the cutoff should be. So I, I like to talk about what I think the player is. And that's what Nola is. He's he's not an ace, but he's a reliable innings eater. And that's why when you look at the ace market via free agency, we'll get to trades. Trades are a little bit more hypothetical, but we will get to it. It's Yamamoto. It's Snell. Maybe it's Nola. And then there's a real drop-off. I mean, you want to tell me Sonny Gray's an ace? I, I guess. I, he's had some very good years. He's had some ace-like seasons. But there are no there are no no doubters in terms of free agency. But let's go through some of these other names and see if we're interested. Lucas Giolito fits the innings eater category. The problem with Lucas Giolito, and I do think this will hurt him in free agency, is that he was having a very solid year with the Chicago White Sox. You know, a typical year. He was going out. He was making every start. He was bouncing back from what had happened in 2022 when he also made every start but had an ERA near five. But what happened when he went to Anaheim and Cleveland was so effing bad, like so atrociously bad, that I don't know. Even though Giolito is the definition of an innings eater, I just thought he was completing a solid bounce back here in 2023. But it was so bad in Anaheim and Cleveland that his ERA ended up finishing as high as 4.88 which is identical to what happened a year earlier when he had a 4.90 ERA. So he was having a bounce back year, 
And then the close was so freaking bad, so atrociously bad that he went backwards. He went backwards. He made 12 starts with the Angels and the Indians, the Guardians. He was 2-9 and nine with a 70 ERA in those 12 starts, and he gave up 21 home runs. 21 home runs. He ended up giving up 41 home runs for the season. So I'm very mixed on Giolito. When we talked about him back in July, because I think we did have a brief conversation about him, on an edition of the Rico, I said, hey, you know, Giolito, that's a reliable innings eater. And he's been a reliable innings eater. But he was so freaking bad that now I'm sort of scared off by Giolito. Yay or nay to Lucas Giolito? I say nay, and he reminds me kind of like the tail end of the the Weaver brothers. Like Jeff and uh, I'm blanking on the other, the other brother's name. Jared. Jake, Jared. Yeah, I felt like they were good. They had special stuff, and then towards the tail end of their careers – they were just getting lit up left and right, and it's just not worth it. Now, I know Giolito's not even 30 yet, so he still has more opportunity to figure it out, but I think there's better options than him right now, personally speaking. Well, I'm going to give you a name, and I like this guy. I'd be very happy if the Mets signed the, game I'm, the, the name I'm about to mention, and I believe it will be a very unpopular opinion because most Met fans and New Yorkers assume that this gentleman can't pitch in New York. And his failures with the Yankees was related to that. I happen to not believe that. And that is Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is a little bit older. He's going to be 34 years old this week. So he'll pitch in his thirty age 34 season next year. But he is coming off a really good year for Minnesota. He's been really good the last two years. What I had heard about Sonny Gray after his a- tenure with the Yankees ended, and it was bad. 2018, he had a five ERA for the New York Yankees. But then all of a sudden he ends up in Cincinnati. He's a freaking all-star. He's getting Cy Young votes and had statistically one of the best years of his career. Sonny said in an interview right after he was traded and was having that success in Cincinnati that it was about pitch selection, that it was about what the Yankees were telling him to do more than it was the pressure. And I happen to believe that. Like, I don't think Sonny Gray necessarily sucked here because he couldn't pitch here. But I think the reason why people believe it is because Brian Cashman believed it. If memory serves correct, after that 18 season, Cashman essentially announced, we're going to trade Sonny Gray. It just doesn't work here. But I don't think that's why it failed. So I'm not scared of Sonny Gray. I'm not scared that him coming here would be some kind of disaster. And also, if you do think it's New York, if you do think that that was an issue, He was 28 years old when that was going on. Now he's 33, and he's had more major league experience. Five years in the major league since then with Cincinnati and Minnesota. I'm not scared of it. I look at him at what he is, which is not quite an ace, but can be ace-like at times with the way he pitches. And I see no sign of decline. He's relatively reliable. He doesn't miss big big bulk of time. He made 32 starts this past season. He had a very good year for Minnesota. I'm all good with Sonny Gray. Obviously, I don't know what that contract's going to look like, and that's a big deal, even though we both don't think it is because Steve could buy anybody. But Sonny Gray would be a great addition to this Met rotation. So I've heard the same thing about him in New York uh, with the Yankees. And if you think about it, you look at a guy like Lance Lynn, you look at a guy like George Montgomery, guys that when they left the Yankees, pitch better than Sonny Gray is definitely one of those guys. So I, you're, you're right. Before and after, 
New York to the season. He's been fine. Now, I agree with you as far as he's someone we should th- think of. I say if you can get him to a two- to three-year deal, money doesn't make a difference to me, but two- to three-year deal because I don't know if I want to commit to anything too long with Sonny. But if you say, again, two- or three-year deal, kind of like, uh, you know, the fact that you, the, the, whether there's opt-ins or opt-outs after two years or whatever, I'm all for it because, again, it's not that long-term commitment that you have to worry about. Yeah, no, absolutely. You get that flexibility. And at 33 years old, 33 season, 34 season, he's not a big guy, so I could see the fear that he may not age very well. I'd be up for it. I think he's going to get more than that, though. I think Sonny's going to try to get a four- or five-year deal. Another guy who's going to get a big contract is Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery who was okay with the Yankees. He was okay when he was there. Like, right before he got hurt in 2021, he had a a solid year. Was more of a back-of-the-rotation guy, but he's really started to develop since they traded him to St. Louis. He pitched really well for the Cardinals down the stretch last year. He pitched okay for the Cardinals early this season. And then for Texas, forget about the playoffs. We'll get to the playoffs in a second. He was great in the 11 starts he made. And you mentioned earlier, Pete, about the Rangers model of adding starting pitching. They not only added starting pitching in free agency where they were aggressive, signing the Grom, signing Evaldi, signing Haney. Look what they did at the trade deadline. They had Max Scherzer. They had Jordan Montgomery. Obviously, it was related to some of the injuries, but the Montgomery addition was so good. And then... He goes out and pitches really well outside of the World Series start. He was wonderful in that American League Championship Series, including including coming out of the bullpen. He pitched a great game in the wild card series. He pitched really well in the postseason. So you double the fact that he's been better the last two years. He's developed the last two years. He was good in the postseason. He's a lefty who's 30, 31 years old. He feels like a guy that's hit his prime that maybe we haven't even seen the best of him, that he could build off of what he did in the postseason, what he did in the second half with Texas, kind of like how he built off what he did last year with St. Louis. I'd be really, really interested in Montgomery. I am really interested in Jordan Montgomery. I, I do think you have to keep in mind, sometimes it's a worry when you pitch and you extend yourself in the postseason the following year that that could kind of hurt you. The next season, that may have hurt Aaron Nola, who pitched more the previous season. But with that said, you're signing Montgomery. It's a long-term deal. It's not just what does he do in 2024. It's what he does over the next four or five years, which he's going to try to get as a 30, 31-year-old. Scott Boris is his agent and compared him to Andy Pettit. He said that this is a modern-day Andy Pettit, which means ka which means... You know Boris is going heavy. That's another guy, and, and you're noticing a pattern. Bring him in, too. I'm, I'm good with a lot of these guys on the list because they'd be really good additions to the rotation. Well, I, I like Montgomery. I'm okay with him. I like someone a little bit better as the lefty. I like Eduardo Rodriguez. Now, I understand that he had a little hiccup during the season last year. We had to step away, but when he came back, he was fine. He had a great year in Detroit. He opted out of his contract. He opted out of his option. Same with Marcus Stroman, by the way. But let's talk about Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, now maybe it's because he was away from Boston, but he really had a solid season. I think he's a little bit more of an upgrade than Montgomery as far as uh, you know, exciting stuff. 
and he's not as expensive as like a, a Julio Urias, who's going to be the, the top prime, I think, behind Snell as far as those lefties. If, you do, if you're looking at lefties alone, I think Snell's going to make the most, Urias, and then Rodriguez Montgomery. That's my one, two, three, four type of thing. I, honestly, I'm not even touching Urias at this point. Like, I, I, I don't know how any team can, you know, based on what's going on with him off the field. So I know how good he can be. But I don't know if any team's going to touch Julio Urias at this point. I think Eduardo Rodriguez and Jordan Montgomery are sort of similar in terms of age, in terms of being a lefty, and in terms of like the season they're coming off of and what is the reasonable expectation over the next four years. Eduardo Rodriguez opted out of what you mentioned. He was due to make $18 million this season for Detroit. He got hurt late last season, but had a pretty good year. Eduardo Rodriguez is another guy that would be, I mean, it's funny. They're, they're all good additions because they're all better than what we have. <laughs> like, so far, I think the only guy we've really said no to was Blake Snell. The guy who's going to win the National League, Cy Young. I would say no to Clayton Kershaw, who's unfortunately going to miss a big chunk of 2024. I wouldn't touch another aging ace anyway. Marcus Stroman. I, I don't know if we should waste our time on it. The Mets are never going to bring back Marcus Stroman. He said things about the Mets as he left, I I just doubt it's ever going to happen. He's a really good pitcher. You know, he's reliable. He'll go out there and make every start, or at least a lot of his starts. But I just can't see the Mets going after him again. Noah Syndergaard looks done. So does he fit that, hey, you never know, one year, maybe he puts it all together? I think he's far gone. Like, I don't even think he fits that anymore. Kyle Hendricks. There's a team option on him, so we'll see if the Chicago Cubs pick it up. Hinjin Ryu is always hurt, and he's 37 years old. I have no interest. Alex Wood seems to miss a lot of time every single season. I have no interest. The innings eater that I'm sort of interested in is Kyle Gibson, because while he's not great, I mentioned earlier you want guys that you could just throw out there every five days. And even though Kyle Gibson is 36 years old, here are his numbers throughout the years. 33 starts this past year for the Orioles. Had a 4.70 RA. Again, not great, but he makes every start. 33 starts. 2022 with the Philadelphia Phillies. 31 starts, 5 ERA. 2021 with Philly and Texas. 30 starts, 3.71 ERA. Uh, he made every start in 2020, but it, it doesn't always fit when we say the number. He made 12 starts, but that's not, doesn't sound as good. 2019, 29 starts. 2018, 32 starts. 2017, 29 starts. Kyle Gibson would fit. I'm not saying I'm ecstatic about Kyle Gibson. I think every other name we mentioned would fit better, but you're thinking about cost. You're thinking about years. He's 36. He's not going to get a long-term deal. He definitely fits the reliability factor of taking the ball every five days. James Paxton does not. I mean, James Paxton is the opposite of that. He doesn't take the ball every five days. Michael Lorenzen, I was interested in for a few minutes. He struggled with the Phillies. They ended up moving him to the bullpen. You sign Michael Lorenzen, I'm not sure what you get. So when you look at these free agents, oh, and there's one I left out, and this is the one I'm very interested in because I think he does fit the, what I'm talking about of the reward and the risk. It's a one-year deal. It's a prove-it deal, and that's Luis Severino. Luis Severino is obviously coming off of 
a year that I'm stunned he had. Like, I really thought in a contract year we were going to see a lot better than Luis Severino, and instead he pitched to a 6.65 ERA in 18 starts, the highest ERA of his entire major league career. But, but, he showed something late in late August. He had back-to-back starts where he threw 13 and two-thirds scoreless innings, and then we barely saw him in September. So there was a little bit of promise after all the horrific starts that he had when he was giving up nine runs and seven runs, and he was literally unstartable. He was so bad. But Luis Severino will turn 30 right before spring training. That's the one-year deal that excites me the most. That's The way I'd phrase it is that's the Cody Bellinger move of pitchers in 2024. One-year deal. He hasn't been healthy or good in a while, and maybe you get jackpot. I like that as the low-risk, high-reward free agent signing. I know you love Severino. I just feel like he's – you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a low, low risk. I mean, you're not, you're not going to make this huge uh, splash for him. But I feel like there's other guys. Like the, you dismissed Lorenzen. The reason why you bring in Lorenzen is because he's gonna pitch, and even though he may not be effective as a starter, you, you're gonna get spot starts out of him. But then you can push him to the bullpen. Like that's part of a problem is that we don't have reliable reliable bullpen people. Now I'm, I'm not saying to go let's get a starter pitcher to have the intention of putting him into the bullpen, but it's not a bad option to have. And here's another name that you might want to think of. Another guy like that we've had in the past, maybe bring back Seth Lugo. Is that someone that we would bring back to do the same thing? Yeah, Seth Lugo's definitely an option. Seth Lugo's available in free agency. He had a decent year last year for San Diego. Missed a little bit of time. I, I would view him, though, as a guy I'm going to move back to the bullpen. Seth Lugo would be in like a horrible nightmare if he comes back to the Mets as a starter And then like six weeks into the season, he's back in the bullpen. Um, I don't think the Mets need swing guys, though. So the the idea of Lorenzen being pushed to the bullpen like he has in the past doesn't do anything for me because I think they have guys like that. Another guy who could fit the high-reward, low-risk category, if you don't like Severino, is Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty back in 2019 looked like an emerging star as a 23-year-old, finished in the top five in Cy Young voting. And since then, he just hasn't been the same guy. He's had a very difficult time staying healthy. He did stay relatively healthy this past season, making 29 starts, but he wasn't good. He wasn't good with the Orioles. He was very mediocre with St. Louis, but he's still young. And we talk about all these ages of free agents. They're basically all in their 30s, almost every single one of them, outside of Yamamoto. Jack Flaherty's 28 years old. So I I would put him in that category of high reward. I assume low risk because I don't think he's going to get some kind of mega contract coming off the year he's coming off of. But I like having that as a possibility. I like having a guy in my rotation that I look at and say, this guy could be great. This guy could be an ace. Like Jack Flaherty and Luis Severino have pitched like aces in their career and they're not going to get paid like one, nor are they going to get years like one this upcoming season. And I find that appealing. Any other free agents that I may have missed that intrigue you, Pete? 
I don't know if they intrigue me, but like Frankie Montas, would you? Who would you think about that guy? <laughs> I mean, I you know, in a weird way, Frankie Montas probably fits what I just described. Guy coming off an injury, guy trying to prove himself. Um, doesn't do it for me. <laughs> it doesn't do it for me. When you, you know, look at the tr- yeah, go ahead. One of the guys, interesting. He's not been. He hasn't been great, but uh, Tyler Mall. I know. He, I think he was injured most of last season. But he came when he was with Cincinnati. He did find that he had a good year there. Is that somebody that you can have a low risk, low reward? And he's not, he's not very expensive either. I think, and he's young. I think he's like 29 as well. Yeah, he's young. He's, I think he's only had one full year in his major league career. He's just barely pitched. But it definitely fits it, you know, of a guy that you never know could give you production. When you look at the trade market, and, and, and trade markets are tough to figure because. We're trying to figure out, is this guy available? And then if we assume he is available, then you try to put together a fair trade. And I think I disagree with some Met fans about this because I brought this up on the air with Tiki when the story came out about the Padres and the loan that they took out. And naturally, we all jumped to Juan Soto. And I said on the air, look, as a Met fan, I'm not that interested in trading for him. And it's not because I don't like Juan Soto. It's not because I don't think he's a brilliant offensive player. It's because I don't think where we are as a franchise, the Mets are in position to just start trading big prospects. Doesn't mean they can't. Like, yes, the Mets have a good system. If the Mets wanted to be in play for Juan Soto, they can be in play for Juan Soto. So I'm not ripping the farm system. I'm saying, considering what they just did, I don't know if I love the idea of immediately taking prospects and dealing that for Juan Soto. Does it make sense to trade a far less package for starting pitching? Sure. But even that I'm not as I'm not drawn in by. I'm drawn in by the fact that you've got an owner with money, buy players, keep developing your prospects. Now I get that sometimes you build a farm system with the hope of using those pieces to trade for players. Yeah, maybe at the trade deadline if this team is good. Maybe next season when people emerge. I don't love doing it now. So I don't think the Mets are going to be that in on the offseason trade market. But I think it's more likely and makes more sense that if you're going to trade for anybody, it's going to be for starting pitching and not for offensive players. So don't take this as a knock on Soto. It's not. It's more a compliment to the fact that you could buy players. Well, can I? So wouldn't you rather do that? Can, can I add on to that real quick? Because I had this conversation uh, this morning or whatever we're, I, on my show. I, people were begging about Soto. Oh, you have to get Soto. I'm like, it, it, the Padres are really strapped for cash right now. Are the Padres trading Juan Soto, who they're going to only have him for one year, or are they going to try to offload some of these other guys that they have for longer deal, longer-term deals? It It depends. You know, we don't know how far the Padres want to cut. Like, are they going to cut their payroll to $90 million? Are they going to cut it to a buck 50? Are they good at 200? I, I, I don't know. But I think that Soto makes the most sense only because he's going to have a big number this season in his final year of arbitration. So he's going to make a lot of money this season. And then the idea that they can sign him along with all the other long-term contracts they have just doesn't feel likely. It also doesn't feel likely that, because one answer to me on this would be, okay, Evan, you don't have to give up prospects. Doesn't it make sense that the Padres would take back Pete Alonso? If the Mets 
have decided they don't want to pay him the money that Scott Boris is looking for. Here's why that doesn't make sense. And it's not even me saying, no, you can't do it. Why would the Padres do that? Because if your answer is, well, they get, they get a right-handed power hitting first baseman, makes sense. They're trying to cut payroll. Pete's going to make a lot of money. And then are they signing Pete Alonso? Probably not. So if you're going to trade Soto for another guy that makes a lot of money that you're not going to sign, why would you take the lesser player? And no offense to Pete. I love Pete. He's not the offensive player Juan Soto is. He's not. I wouldn't argue that. So I don't even think that that trade makes any sense either. I think that's a fairy tale. I think it would be big time prospects. It would be unloading your farm system. I don't believe the Mets are in any position to do it. I'm not interested in doing it. Sign Juan Soto as a free agent next year. I'm all for that. So when you look at some of the starting pitchers that I wrote down on my trade target list, some of which are going to be very expensive. The obvious one is Corbin Burns. He's a free agent after 2024. I also don't think the Brewers are really in a rush to make a deal with David Stearns and the Mets. And that that's like a conspiracy theory, I guess, but it's an educated conspiracy theory. I just, I don't think it makes a lot of sense that they would do that. Tyler Glass now is another guy. He's a free agent after 2024. So logic would dictate that the Tampa Bay Rays, who are very much known for getting rid of guys just before they have to, would sell now on Glass now, who pitched pretty well coming back off the major injury. But my concern with Glass now, twofold. Number one, if I trade for him, do I want to keep him long term? Am I going to be comfortable giving him a long-term contract? And I hesitate because he has not shown an ability to stay healthy. He has never pitched a full season. It's never happened. So even though he's tantalizingly good and gets so many swing and misses and has nasty-ass stuff, I just don't know if at age 30, all of a sudden, Tyler Glass now is going to stay healthy. So... He definitely fits the high reward category, but you're going to trade valuable pieces for a guy who you may not even want to re-sign at the end of the season. Another guy that could be available via trade and I think will be expensive is Dylan Cease, who's beautiful because you have team control over him for the next bunch of seasons. Dylan Cease is the opposite of Tyler Glass now. He's Mr. Reliable. 32 starts in 21. 32 starts in 22, 33 starts this past season. He almost won the Cy Young in 2022, and he had a kind of fall off eclipse season this past year. But I'd still bet high on him. He's still young. He's only 28 years old or will be 28 years old at the start of the year and fits that reliable category. But again, what are you giving up? That's why here are the guys I'd be more interested in because they're not going to cost me a lot. Paul Blackburn of the Oakland A's. Like, what's he really costing me? Arbitration through 2024. You know how the A's are. Look what the Mets were able to do in acquiring Chris Bassett. Shane Bieber, I here's what I hesitate about with Shane Bieber. And I had thrown out a fake trade a few weeks ago that everybody yelled at because there's no fake trade people like. Either you're a schmuck, you're not giving up enough, or why would you do that, you idiot? <laughs> so... Take your pick on Shane Bieber, who made 21 starts and pitched with 380 ERA. It's not like he looked like the guy he was in 2022 or the guy he was in 2020, but I offered Jeff McNeil for Shane Bieber. By the way, would you make that trade, Pete? Straight up McNeil for Bieber? 
Yeah, I'm down on McNeil. I understand that they, there's still hope for him to turn it around, but I, I think that there's more value with Bieber being on a team than, than McNeil. Yeah, you have to replace Jeff, and that's not easy. I don't think you just assume Ronnie Mauricio's Jeff McNeil and call it a day. And then you got to hope that Shane Bieber stays healthy. And then you've got to make that same decision I talked about with Tyler Glass now. Okay, you traded for Shane Bieber. Do you want him long-term? Are you going to be willing to give him that six- or seven-year deal? How about Chris Sale? Chris Sale's an interesting one in that that's Steve Cohen using the power of the pocketbook. Chris Sale makes a crap ton of money. There's a vesting option in 2025, but there's also a buyout. He's scheduled to make $27.5 million in 2024. He finally came back. He pitched last year, pitched to a 4-3 ERA. But maybe the thought is, you know what? I'd rather pay the top dollar on this guy. It's a one-year deal. You you could look at it, Pete. Like we talk about those short-term deals. You trade for Chris. I'm not giving a lot up. Like the Red Sox would basically have to tell me why I should take him. I pay off the $27.5 million on one year. It's likely that the option isn't going to vest. And it's like a one-year deal. And I hope that maybe I can capture some past glory with Chris Hale. Well, I mean, that's basically, your, yeah, your, your, I don't know if it's low risk, but it's definitely a high reward if he can become what he once was. I just don't think he has anything left in that tank. I really don't. He, he just hasn't pitched enough. I think that's part of the problem. Like, he wasn't good in 2019 when he made almost every start. Then he misses 20, barely pitches in 21, barely pitches in 22, and comes out last year and he pitches and he was average. That's more of a, the only risk is you're paying a big check. And I think what Cohen showed us over the last few years is on a short-term deal, he's not really afraid of it. So here are my three starters I would add, because that's all the names we've gone through. I would, uh, Yamamoto is number one. And I think we're all in on that as Met fans. Outbid the Yankees, outbid the Dodgers, outbid everybody. Go get the guy that could be the ace of this team for the next five years. Senga, Yamamoto, one-two punch. Let's go. My second addition would be the high-reward, low-risk Luis Severino one-year deal that I know you hate. Pete, right now, is just like, Evan with Severino, go marry him already. (laughs) Look, I think the guy's good. What do you want me to tell you? I like him. And then the third guy, the middle guy, has to be somebody reliable. So it it really comes down to how much more Steve is going to be willing to spend. Because to get Yamamoto, you're getting close to $200 million. So if you spend that, are you then willing to give Jordan Montgomery what he's going to want? Are you then willing to give Aaron Nola what he wants? I doubt it. Are you even going to give Sonny Gray what he wants? So I'm going to set the bar pretty low here and say Kyle Gibson, who I talked about earlier, 36 years old. I'll get him on a short-term deal. Uh, I can write down 33 starts. So what I get from this, and you may say, but is that good enough, Yamamoto, Severino, and Gibson? Is that good enough? Look, in a perfect world, I'd, I'd pick the top three guys on the top three pitchers. I'd say Yamamoto, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery and call it a day. And that'd be amazing. But the reason why those three fit is that two of those three guys, Gibson and Severino, I'm getting on short-term deals. And I keep the flexibility for the following year 
when Corbin Burns is a free agent, when Shane Bieber is a free agent, when a young starting pitcher we're not even thinking of becomes available via trade. And now I am ready to use my prospects to trade for them. The other huge factor in all this, and it is a huge factor, and I haven't mentioned his name until now because let's do it at the end, is Shohei Otani. I believe the Mets should go after Shohei Otani. I believe they will go after Shohei Otani. And I would tell you right now, I think they got a puncher's chance to get him. I don't think they're overwhelming favorites. I'm not convinced he's necessarily going to go to the highest bidder, but I definitely give the Mets a shot. And we talked about it a lot in the Otani-Soto debate, which we've received many emails and tweets of me, people saying I'm an idiot. What are you talking about? Soto's a lot better. Whatever. That's fine. It was a good discussion. If you sign Otani, he's not pitching in 2024, but he is pitching in 2025. At least that's the plan. And my plan of a Gibson Severino is that that flexibility continues. I'm not locked in with so many more starting pitchers, especially with some of my younger arms developing. So I like the idea of adding three arms in the categories I laid out and having it be flexible. And having it be where I'm not locked into them long term. And that's where you got to set the bar lower on who the pitcher is. Because Jordan Montgomery is getting a long-term deal. Sonny Gray is getting some kind. I don't know how long of a term it's going to be. Because we talked about earlier because of his age. But he's definitely getting multiple years. Aaron Nola is getting a long-term deal. That's where I come up with those three guys. And I would be content. I'd be okay. I'd say, let's go. You would then have a rotation of Yamamoto, Sengo, 1-2, Gibson, Quintana as your inning eaters in the middle, and then Luis Severino as your fifth starter. Maybe he puts it all together again, stays healthy, and has a great year. And then obviously you got the young guys that we talked about, Vassal, Tidwell, Scott, Hamill, uh, Budo, Casey, break glass in case of emergency. Your three guys, because I think we're on the same page that it should be three, your three guys would be whom? All right, so Yamamoto, I think we both agree with, no doubt about it. He's got to be there. I will say this much. I think that you do need a lefty. I, I, I like Rodriguez. I know you like Montgomery, but I like Rodriguez because, again, thinking about, I think they will get Shohei Otani. I do believe that. And I think when Quintana is a free agent, I believe in 25. So he's gonna be off the books. Yep. Rodriguez, Rodriguez. If you're if you're someone that thinks that they need to have a left-handed pitcher in the rotation, Rodriguez needs to be there. So boom, you have that covered. So we got Yamamoto, we got Rodriguez. I'd be willing to go Sonny Gray as the short-term deal because I think you can get him for a two-year deal. If not him, I'd say just freaking do Aranola call it a day. But I think I think but I, I gotta be honest, dude. You 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 laugh, but I I give him five years and let him just be reliable. That's what we need. You you've locked in your rotation though. Like understand that. Like it's done now because you've got Senga long term. Even though he has an opt out, but I'm sure they'll take care of it. And it seems like Senga loves pitching here, so I think he'll be here long term. You now have Senga, Yamamoto, Otani, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Arenola. Five starters all signed long term. So you're not in on Bieber. You're not in on Burns. Like, you're out on all those guys because you've, you've got five guys locked up long term. And guess what? We don't need to trade our, our draft 
a prospect. We don't have to trade draft uh, capital. We don't need to trade our prospect, our, our prospects we have. We have. No, I get you. We could save those you. guys for position I, players or whatever it is. You know, I'm all about that. I, I think the bar I've set is, and we'll find out. Maybe it's high. I think I've set a nice low bar that they're yes. going to add starting pitching because if you add three starters and let's say it's the three guys I mentioned. Kyle Gibson, Luis Severino, Yamamoto. I don't think guys are dancing in the streets as Met fans. I don't think we're World Series favorites. I don't think we're favorites to win the division. But it does fit the idea of we spent money, we're trying to win. And we're Uh, we're remaining flexible. So maybe my bar is too low, but I I think that's where they're going. They're going to add starters, but they're not just going to buy three big contracts and say, there's your rotation. But here's the thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to throw a little caveat in there. You're right. You're you're adding these one-off players that are gonna be not gonna hound you down for the next few years. But we've seen it before. Verlander got hurt last year. Scherzer got hurt last year. Degrom got hit, hurt two years ago. Like, who knows who's gonna get hurt? Shohei is not gonna pitch next year at all for whoever he's whatever team he's on. You're probably gonna have to make a trade at the deadline anyway. If you're going to be well, in it, like the Rangers did. Assuming we're in it. Assuming we're not trading guys off again. <laughs> assuming that's, it's not another sell-off like we saw in 2023. We'll see. But I think we all agree on this. This is the priority. And what they do in adding starting pitching, whether it's through trade or free agency, that's going to determine our expectations for the 2024 New York Mets. I don't think we're going to see major changes with this lineup. Now, the bullpen, which we did a podcast on, if you missed it, focusing on who's here, who should be here, who's available, that'll be a big deal too. But this is really what's going to set our expectations. This is going to be how we feel about what they do in the starting pitching market will be exactly how we feel going into the 2024 season. We do appreciate you listening. Any thoughts, comments, disagreements, feedback, B at gmail.com. As we enter a full week of MLB offseason and free agency beginning on Monday, just remember, we will as fast as we can, because we do have jobs and families, we will try to pop out instant reactions to whatever breaking news occurs. I think the first piece of breaking news we'll be reacting to is a Craig Council decision, whether it's the decision to join the New York Mets or it's the decision to go back to Milwaukee, and then we all have to pivot. That, that I think, is the first instant reaction. We talked a little bit about the council kind of rumors on Evan and Tiki, if you missed it, uh, on Friday's edition, why I don't care that he wants the most money, and that'd be why he chooses the New York Mets. Tiki fought back on me on this. He was actually very passionate with a lot of you Mets fans that if he wants the money, I don't want him anymore. And I don't fully understand that because with free agents, we're okay with it. But with managers, we draw the line. So you can go back and listen to Friday's Evan and Tiki if you want more on that. But we do appreciate you listening and downloading the Rico Bronya. Thank you very much. We'll be here a lot during this offseason. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>